Good evening, Calvary. How's everybody doing tonight? Pulling up our chair. We got our, our chairs pulled up. We're in our family room. We're just sitting down with the Lord. For those that this is your first time on a Wednesday, this is kind of how we do it here. We go a little bit informal. We just want to open the Word of God, um, much like we do on a Sunday, except, you know, we go sometimes a little deeper. We're going to go through some things. Uh, there's notebooks in the back. I encourage people, especially Wednesdays and Sundays, take notes. It's good. Take notes and go back, be Berean, study these things. Um, I'm excited, guys. We have two services coming Sunday. Isn't that awesome? Praise Jesus. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really good. Um, I'm kind of curious where all you'll fall in, either 8.30 or 10.30, you know? So, um, yeah. Yeah, we just moved in in April. <laughs> Hope's like, we need a bigger building so we could just stay one. No, we just moved in April. <laughs> if we move again, we're, we're going to, yeah, we're not doing that. That was a lot of work. We're good. <laughs> From the guy that helped hang the drywall. Um, <clears throat> open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. You know, if you've been with us on um, Wednesdays, we've been going line by line and verse by verse. Uh, through the book of Leviticus, we have arrived here. We've come as far as chapter uh, 16 here. And it's interesting because so far we've covered offerings, right? We went through the first five chapters, looked at, you know, five different offerings like that. We've talked about priests. We've, we've talked about sin, you know, what it was for the priest himself uh, to be sanctified that way, holy, set apart, the work that God had called him out to. Uh, we've talked about sin, haven't we? We've talked about the law. We, we talked about leprosy. Last week, we interesting chapter on body fluids, right? Made some tracks and got right through that one, right? <laughs> interesting chapter, but good, right? Because God is always showing us. That's why I love when we go back in that uh, Dr. McMillan book, when you go back and read it, I mean, gosh, we're, we're, I was wrecked by that. I mean, to think about uh, the Jews that had, you know, part of the diaspora, diaspora, as they were surrounded through Europe and all different areas, obviously after AD 70 and the temple was destroyed and <clears throat> the persecution against the, the Jewish Christians, they had spread all over. And the hygiene practices that they had found in the law as part of Orthodox Judaism that they had been keeping. And as they got you know, to the 1300s, and we, we saw, unfortunately, uh, many of you know the Black Plague, and so many, so many uh, died with that disease. And yet we have no record of a single Jewish person in Europe ever affected by the black plague because of the hygiene and the, the things that they had, because God's word spoke about it even before science understood it. And, and you know, there's nothing new under the sun as Solomon said. I think today we're, we're slowly learning more, but God's word, we're just catching up to the Bible aren't we? We're just catching up to God's wisdom. And I don't know that we'll ever get, obviously we'll never get this side of eternity to that, but, but it's beautiful. So we, we've been going through sin and then even the laws I mentioned. Now our focus in chapter 16 gets really specific into, the, into sin here, okay? Um, specifically this chapter, you, you look at the day of atonement, yam, yama, or yoma, right? In the Hebrew, um, K4 or Kapoor, as somebody may know, may want to pronounce it that way, the Day of Atonement. Such a special day that they've, they've literally set it aside. It was to be one of those days where uh, it wasn't like Merry Yom Kippur or Happy Yom Kippur. No, this, this was a day that was very sobering. It was a day that they were to mourn. 
It later became, um, because of rabbinical practices, a day that they would feast, excuse me, a feast, no, a day they would fast, the exact opposite of feasting. Forgive me. It'd be a day they would fast and they would go through and they would deny themselves food and they would go through and they would just have such a heaviness because they would realize what they were doing. And what I especially love about this chapter as we go through this tonight, it's going to point out our need and, and I think the adequacy of the work of Christ as we see in the New Testament. We, we can't read a chapter or, or a really a passage in the book of Leviticus without seeing a shadow or a foreshadowing or a picture to what we see in Jesus Christ, in our new covenant, in our Messiah. It was all foreshadowed for us. And that's what's so beautiful when I think of our Jewish brothers and sisters that yet maybe have not made a confession of faith, have not believed God because they're still practicing some of these things. God has made a way. In Jeremiah 31, 31, he says, he's going to give them new hearts. They're going to be believed. They're going to cry out. They're going to ask for and, and you know, they're going to read through these things. Every year they celebrate Yom Kippur. And every year they're reminded that they need one that isn't going to just atone sin, Right? What did Jesus do? Jesus, because the tone means in the Hebrew cover. No, it wasn't going to be a covering. It was going to be a complete removal. As far as the east is from the west. You see, we're going to read in Hebrews in a little bit, in Hebrews 9 and 10, that it always pointed to Christ. And that's, that's why this chapter is so precious for us. Because we can look back to what God was always, always telling his children that he loves them, and that he would redeem them. And that was God's plan for you and I. It's such a beautiful picture of his love, his mercy, and grace. There's nothing else like it, friends. There's nothing else like it. So let's begin here in verse 1. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Father God, we thank you. Lord, thank you so much for the beauty of your word, for the majesty and the just, Lord, the perfection, the steadfastness, Lord. You, you, you elevate your word over your, your very name, Jesus. You tell us in your word. God, thank you that we are able to gather here. You've provided a warm building for us, Lord. As we gather with our brothers and sisters here tonight, Lord, as we open your word, as we, as we set aside the cares of this world, Lord, or the cares of our lives, the, the busyness and all the things that are going on, God. As we sit here now and we just want to hear from you, Jesus. Minister to our hearts, Lord. Give us application, Holy Spirit. Just go in and do surgery right now, God, right on our hearts. Transform our hearts and minds. God, that we may know your love, that we may know your desire for our lives, that we may know of you more. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about relationship. And and Father, that's what we want right now. So we ask that your spirit be with us and that you teach us. And Lord, I pray that I would get out of the way. Lord, I'd disappear right into the background, Jesus, and all we'd hear is your word going forward and just communing with our hearts as we long to be with you, Jesus. We pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of his two sons, the sons of Aaron, Just think about that for a minute. Who are we talking about? Do you remember chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu? 
when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. Many scholars have tried to connect chapter 10 as almost a continuation into 16. Certainly there were events that took place. Obviously, we just read some of the, the principles on, you know, as I mentioned, body fluids and different things like that, the ritual for the cleansing of leprosy. Uh, you know, the, one of the most... Uh, documented chapters in all of human history, chapter 13 on disease. There's never been another book in history, ancient history, that has more detail about disease and different things like that. We have in in all of our collection, any library in the world, as we do in chapter 13. It's amazing. Nothing else like it in all of history. But we come here and we see now that it goes back almost like it's taking us back and the Lord is going back to Moses. And I believe probably because Aaron being dad, just watching his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, somehow we're going to learn from 16. We're going to get an idea of what they might've done, but it looks like they went into the holies of holies, the holy of holies, excuse me. And they began to do something that was profane. What was profane was the fact that they weren't obedient to God, how God had commanded to be worshiped. You know, we live in a society today where people think they can do whatever they want whenever they want. You know, they want to worship God on their terms. They, they want God to be the God they want it to be, him to be. You know, God's very specific I mean, look at, look at what we've been reading in Leviticus. I mean, down to the, if there's a white spot on it. I mean, he's so specific about disease, leopard, everything he's been giving us. He has a desire to be worshipped. He's God. He's the author. He's the finisher. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And I, I think we all get this, but sometimes I think we can become lax. We can get comfortable. And we forget that we have a reverential God that's what it makes me laugh when sometimes I see the word reverend before somebody's name. Don't ever. You'll never see that in front of my name. I, I, there's nothing about me, reverend. There's nothing about me that's even close to that. And, and I can't help but thinking about that. And the reason I bring that up, not just to put myself down, but because Aaron, this is an idol worshiper. He's making calves, man. He's an idol maker. He made a, gold, he made a calf with his fingerprints on it. He, he, and in spite of who he was, God had a calling on his life, didn't he? God had a plan for him, didn't he? It was less about who Aaron was, and it was more about what God had ordained for Aaron. The place that God had placed him. Thank you, Jesus, that that you use inadequate men. That, That it's not about the man. It's about God. And I just love this because... I could look at Aaron and, I, and I'm going, man, he's, he's got to go into that holy of holies. God's going to tell him that. And you don't think that he's going, man, I, I know what happened when my boys went in there and they didn't do it God's way. It didn't end well. The stakes were high. It ended in death for the boys. And not only is he mourning and wrecked by that, but he himself is very sober in that. Wouldn't you be? I mean, if, if you knew you had to go in and, and, and we're going to read where it says, if you don't do it this way, surely you will die. You'd be like, okay, so how many times do we get to practice this, right? Let's run through it again, man. Let's run through it again, right? But I believe that's Aaron's heart is that he wants to come in. He wants to press into God. Remember, it's not like us under the new covenant. We can come in as close as we want to God. 
We can come as close as we want to our father. Aaron didn't have that. There was a shroud. There was a, there was a curtain. There was a divider between the holy of holies, between the mercy seat and the worshiper. And you couldn't just go in anytime you wanted. You couldn't just go in and do it any way you wanted. It was specific. God does everything with decency and order. That's our God. And remember, we already read in Exodus and part, it's, it's a pattern. What we see in the Holy of Holies is a pattern of what the heavenly throne room will be like. So, and the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come in at any, at just any time into the holy place. And for God to say that, Aaron must have been thinking about it. Aaron must have been worried about it. Inside the veil, specifically, in the Holy of Holies, before the mercy seat, which, remember, that's where God dwells, which is on the ark, what's it say? Unless he die. If he comes in just any way, he says, I want him to come to me. But he needs to come to me as a worshiper. He needs to come to me as a worshiper. He needs to come to me as a son before he comes to me as a high priest. Did you ever think about that? No matter what ministry you're in, no matter what God's called you to, maybe, maybe you're a pastor. I, I don't know. I don't know everybody here and all the things. You're a son or daughter of God before you're ever a servant. You're a son or daughter of the living God first. That's your identity. You're his children. He loves you. He loves you so much. So much that he sent his only begotten son to die for you. He's a good dad. He doesn't want bad things to happen lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. He's specific to what's going to happen. That he will, he will be in that cloud. Later we're going to read how he says he's going to take the incense and he's going he's to have to go to the east side when he does this. And you remember the tabernacle faced east. So he's going to literally have to go around the tabernacle and he's going to take the incense as he goes to the altar and he's going to throw it into the midst of this fire. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to create this I mean, I, it's amazing. I've, I've tried to picture what, what would this look like? Is the fire, and he says, God, as we just read it here, it says, he's going to be in this, right? He, he's going to be there. He's going to appear in the cloud. God himself is going to appear in this cloud. And Aaron, the high priest, is the only one that's going to be in there. Nobody else can do this work. This is the work God has called him to do. No different than Jesus Christ. What did he say? Father, why have you, you, know, why have you forsaken me? He was alone. As that spiritual transaction was taking place on Calvary, he was alone. The weight of sin was put on him, and it was something he had to do alone. Nobody else could have done that with him. God's perfect and righteousness. He couldn't be with sin. Jesus Christ came as that substitute, a propitiation as the New Testament tells us. It's all pointing to it, his presence. But he had to be alone. Thus Aaron, verse three, shall come into a holy place with the blood 
of a young bull as a sin offering and as a ram offering, as a burnt offering. We're going to talk a little bit more about blood. You're going to see atonement used 16 times in chapter 16. You're going to see blood used specifically nine times. In chapter 17, you're going to see it appear 13 different times. The Bible has a lot to say about that because we're going to learn that the life is in the blood. And that's why the blood had to be ushered in through the new covenant of Jesus Christ. It was his blood. I believe, friends, when we get up there and we're standing in that altar or kneeling more properly, I believe we're going to see the blood. Remember, it's a pattern. I believe we're going to see that blood as a constant eternal reminder of our Lord, of our Messiah, of Yeshua, who gave his life, his blood, that was paid as a ransom for many, that whoever should believe and confess the name of Christ would be saved. I believe we're going to see that blood. He shall put the holy linen tunic. Now, this is interesting, and I actually skipped. Let me, let me come back. At the, he says, the blood of a young bull as a sin offering, and a ram as a burnt offering. I, I mentioned that, but, but what he's talking about is this offering he's going to go in. It's, it's wrong to say that he went in once a year. You know Yom Kippur, they, they, they go in once. No, that's, that's not actually accurate, and we're going to see that in Scripture here. He goes in twice. The first time he goes in, he goes in for himself because he has to make an offering. He has to make a, an atonement, a sin offering. And then the second time he'll come in, he'll go in to make an offering for the, the nation, the people. So he really went in twice. It's, it's a misnomer to, to, to understand it otherwise. But, but it's, it's important that we see that if a ram and a bird offering, there had to be blood that would be shed. Now, in verse 4, it's interesting. We don't see, as we saw all you know, that God went through to give him this beautiful high priest, you know, robe and arraignment and all of the things that he would normally wear as part of his priestly duties. What do we see here in verse four? He's actually dressed like everyone else. It would have been, it would have been common to put on a tunic, you know, a, a linen tunic. That, what's that signifying? He's going in just like everybody else is going in, and he needs a removal of sin, just like everybody else needs a removal of sin. He doesn't have his priestly garb on. I don't know if you've, you've caught that before. He's going in just like every one of us. And the linen trousers on his body, he shall be girded with a linen sash and with a linen turban, and he shall be attired. These are the holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering and one ram offering, one ram, excuse me, as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for the house or his house. What do we see here? He's, he's making final preparations. That's what he's doing here. He shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord. So one is going to be directly for the Lord that way as an atonement, as a, as a sacrifice. And the other lot for the scapegoat. Now, it's important here that if we look in verse 8, you have two goats, right? 
some say, well, isn't one really being sacrificed and the other one's going to be let go, set free? He's actually going to be let go through the eastern gate out into the wilderness. That would be what would happen when Jesus Christ himself walked this earth. He would, the, he would have gone out. The scapegoat goes out through the eastern gate in the temple. You, know, you remember Herod's temple? He would have gone out through that temple and he would have you know, gone out and they would have walked him to the wilderness and let him go. And we'll talk about what that means, but both were meant to be a sacrifice. It's not one goat to sacrifice. Both are sacrifice, and both have specific meaning in what each one signifies. And we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about that here. But but that word scapegoat there, Azazel, um, in the Hebrew, it it's highly debated by scholars. They come back and forth, and I mean, you can read a lot of the commentaries if you'd like. They, they argue, really, it's hard to find <laughs> agreement in this in any way, really two or three different ideas behind it, but some say, well, that's, you know, Azazel, that, that's the name they would have given to this goat. That maybe it just represents. Some say, oh, no, that has more to do with the fact that the goat would be going into the wilderness, you know, because the translation means, uh, you know, entire removal. That's what they're really saying. If you look at the Hebrew and the translation for Azazel, it means entire removal. Well, what was the removal of? What were they atoning for? Sin. And so we see one that's going to be, the blood is going to be sacrificed and shed. Who's that point to? Jesus Christ. We see that picture. And then the other one is an example where the sin, because we're going to see even on the animal where the He's going to go free in the wilderness. And it says in the Bible that our sin has been removed from us, our transgressions, right? Now here, atonement, remember, means a covering. They had to do this annually. We're going to read in Hebrews where Jesus says, no, this was once and done. But what did he do? He took your and my sin. He removed our sin, didn't he? And just as Azazel means, it's an entire removal of sin. Now others... Other scholars have come in and says, no, that, that's true. And yes, that's all accurate. But really, uh, they believe, you know, this could go back to some of this idea in Egypt with some of these gods and the different things they had worshipped. Maybe this has something to do with a pagan type, uh, you know, name. That doesn't fit the context. God is the one saying to bring these two things you know, and, and so maybe they were saying it was a devil goat. You know, some have, have tried to sort of opine or, or suggest that that's what this means. You be Bereans, I, I think it's more of the, the second one, the latter I just mentioned. It speaks to the fact that this goat, when released in the wilderness, is never to be seen again. The goat never comes back. It never returns. And it's a beautiful picture of our sin. Our sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. Notice he didn't say north to south because that'll connect. East is as far as from the west. Okay? And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lots fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, as Azil, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement upon it and let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. But again, both goats are part of the sacrifice. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for the house, or his house. And he shall kill the bull as the sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire. Now remember, what happened last time we saw that? His boys, Nadab and Abihu, they took 
fire from this censer, profane, not according to the word of the Lord, not according to how God had commanded it, casually, casually, excuse me, and went, and their penalty was death. You don't think that when he was doing this for a moment, put yourself there. He's a real man. Aaron, he has real emotions. You know, he hadn't arrived. We haven't arrived. Remember, again, he's the idol maker. All this is happening. He's taking all this in. He's like, okay, Lord, I want to be obedient. But I don't know if I can do this. Last time I saw this done, my two sons, my babies. I bet he took a moment to think about this. He was sober-minded. That's exactly what God wanted him to be, wasn't it? He didn't want him to, as his sons had taken it sort of, you know, not with any sobriety, not with any intention, not with any worship, heartfelt. It was never casual. Have we thought about that? How many thousands years, 3,500 years later? How casual we've gotten? Some people call God their bro. Have you, have you heard that? I mean, do you, do you, have you heard what's on the web or seen what's on the web? You know, God's my bro. God's my friend. He knows where I'm at. Oh my. He's God. Where's that reference? For the God that created the universe, that, that as we were the dust of the sand, he took us and he breathed air into our lungs. We're not to take this lightly. We're not to compromise with this. It's beautiful what God wants. He wants such a beautiful, genuine relationship with us. And you know what I love? He doesn't say you have to come when you get it all right. He wants you to come right where you are. It doesn't matter what, what you've been. He, he, wants to, he wants to hold you close right where you are. He knew Aaron was probably a little afraid right now. But he says, you know, Aaron, go ahead and do this. And then he says, with his hands full of, of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. Where, where does he want him to go? With this censer full of fire. He wants him to go into the Holy of Holies with it. And he's going to set that fire before the Lord. And then he's going to take that sweet incense that he just grabbed with his right hand and he's going to throw it right in the middle of it. And he's going to watch this cloud, this smoke arise. It's going to, can you imagine how awesome it would have been in there to see the fire and everything come up and the aroma of the sweet incense and everything happening. And, and it's just Aaron and realizing he's in the presence of God. Have you had that in your prayer closet ever? Maybe not the incense, not the, not the sweet incense like that per se, but have you ever kneeled in your prayer closet, just you and God, and you felt his very presence upon you, speaking to your heart, telling you he loves you, comforting you? Maybe in your deepest and most difficult trial as you're trying to pray yourself out of it, and he's saying, no, pray me into it. Bring me into your trial. Don't try to get me out of the trial. I can't wait. We're going to be with the living God soon and very soon. Man, we're living in the last days, friends. 
soon and very soon. And this is what it's going to be like. Such an intimacy, such a beauty beyond our, our ability to comprehend. It's going to be far greater than anything we've ever imagined. I hope you're excited. I'm excited. Well, he says he's going in the veil and he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord. That cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is in the testimony. Once again, just so he doesn't forget. Get it right, Aaron. Lest he died. Now, I'll, I'll go on record to tell you, if you, just in case. I imagine he did practice this ritual part over and over again. But we have no recorded history of any high priest actually dying in this event. Okay? So, so praise the Lord for that, right? <laughs> Verse 14. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Seven, obviously, talking of complete atonement. That's what that number in the Hebrew speaks to. So he went into the east side. Remember, the tabernacle faced the east, okay? He comes in. He has to come in through the east. So he's coming in this way. He's got to go around. He just took the sweet incense, put it in, but then he dips his finger in the blood of the sin offering and seven times right through the presence of God. Now you've got the sweet incense, you've got the cloud of God, you've got the mercy seat, you've got the fire, and now you've got blood going into that. Amazing. I, I, I can't imagine what this was like. Amazing. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people. And we see here in verse 15, and he's going back in, and bring it inside the veil. Do with the blood, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place. So not only is he cleansing himself, we see on this day, think of all the animal sacrifice, all the things that have happened. Now we see a cleansing of the place itself. It's like a reset. It would be like a reset annually. They're going through and cleaning it out, and it's, it's kind of like they hit the reset button. God's hitting the reset button. And that's what Jesus did the moment we received him as Lord and Savior. He said, all things have been made new. Who you were is no longer who you are. You are blood-bought. You belong to the king and he said he gave you a new nature. As we're reading in the book of Romans, we're in Romans chapter 1, well, now chapter 2. Praise God. Some of you are like, yes, after five hours in chapter 1, praise the Lord. We're getting all the meat off the bone. But we're, we're learning so much. So he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions for all their sins. And so he shall do for the tabernacle, meaning which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now we'll find later in Deuteronomy, he's going to give us a different teaching. Remember, this is okay now because they're moving the tabernacle with them. But eventually they're going to come to a place in the promised land where they're going to erect you know, a more permanent structure. People are going to travel a couple hundred miles in different directions. They're not always going to be able to make it back like that for this. So God's going to provide a different, you know, in Deuteronomy, he's going to go through and provide a different provision, you might say. 
They shall, there shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement. And it just points to our, our great high priest, Jesus Christ. You know, turn here in your Bibles to Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 9. So we can see the, the full fulfillment of what God was beginning to show in this type here. Let's, let's look at verse 11 in chapter 9. Isn't it wonderful that we get to look back like that and we can see? But for the Jew today, they're still looking forward. They don't, they don't need, you know, they receive Messiah. They can receive it today. But for them, they're looking forward. What a great privilege you and I have been given that we can go to our brothers and sisters, our Jewish brothers and sisters, and we can, we can share with them, much like Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, as he began to open the scripture and show all the ways that it had constantly testified of who he was and what he was going to do. We've been given a beautiful gift. Chapter 9 of Hebrews, and verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, as we, we just read, right? But with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. What we just saw Aaron do, right? It, it was spiritual. He had come to do that once and for all. No more annual atonements needed. He, having obtained eternal redemption, Verse 13 in chapter 9. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more, I love that, underline that in your Bibles. When it says how much more, underline that. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit, right? He's not, what's that telling us? He wasn't mortal, well, I mean, obviously he was mortal. He came in the flesh, but he wasn't immortal. What was he? He was eternal. We're mortal. Angels are immortal. God is eternal. You see that here? He says the eternal spirit offered, him out with, offered himself without spot to God. That's what Jesus was doing on that cross. He offered himself to the Father. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. Not a priest, not a man, but Jesus and Jesus alone. There's one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad we're under the new covenant? We can press in whenever we want because our mediator, Jesus Christ, where is he right now? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, constantly interceding for you and I. When we sin and we blow it, he says, my blood, the blood of Christ has covered that, has removed that, excuse me. He didn't cover it. He removed it. It doesn't exist. So friends, Maybe it's a long week. You're coming in here, right? A lot going on. Maybe some stress, sickness, all different things. And you just learned that Christ sees you as he sees his son, the righteousness of his son through the work he did on the cross. How awesome are you feeling right now? How, how, how renewed is your spirit? Are you not rejoicing inside your heart? 
that he sees you perfect as he sees his own son? That's why he can say there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It, it, when you know it in context, doesn't it change everything? Perspective. Doesn't it change perspective? Perspective is everything, right? I love this. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. Leave your, leave your finger here. And, or actually, let's just while we're here, look at chapter 10. Look at verse 4. We're also learning. It's declared in the new covenant. It was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It never, the offering never took away the sins. All it did was take, okay. We clean our houses, right? Maybe weekly if we're lucky, some of us. Some of you maybe daily and I'd love you to come to my house. But, but some of you, you know, weekly or bi-weekly, right? I mean, when I'm talking, really go through and give it a good cleaning, okay? You know, I was a kid. My parents would say, go clean your room. And I'd say, sure. And I'd go up there and I had a closet. Maybe some of you had a closet in your bedroom. And what did that idea of cleaning up look like? What I did is I took my hand like a rake and went, and it went right into the closet. And, you know, I got the broom out or whatever, the bag, and everything went in there. Now, my mother would come in, oh, the room looks good. Knowing me too well, She'd make her way over to the closet, and she'd go, this is a pigsty. I don't even know if they use that term anymore. This is a pigsty. Look at what, I'd say, well, I didn't want to make a room anywhere, you know, make a mess anywhere in the house. Get that stuff down there. Get, you know, come on, what are you thinking, right? And she'd laugh, and I, my mom was awesome. She was just a blessed woman. She never, you know, she was always laughing. Come on, get it done. All right, I get, all right, mom, get it done. But it, I think of that in this particular case of what Christ is telling us here. He's saying, look, you can put it, you can take the dust and throw it under the carpet, but it's still there, isn't it? The dust is still there. And if you got allergies, guess what? Your allergies are still going to be working against you. But not so with Christ. When you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, in this example, the dust is gone. There are no more allergies. There's no more sin nature. Okay, so that, that talks about the first covenant, Adam. There is no more sin nature. Not that we don't struggle with sin, but we've been given victory over sin. We still wrestle and fight with the flesh. I, I think we all would agree with that. But we have a victory in Christ, and his blood has removed it. That's what we're taught by the word of God. That's who we are in Christ. Don't let anybody lie to you. Don't let the enemy try to tell you anything different. Because there's a world out there that's trying to neuter God's word. They're trying to water it down and they're trying to, it's all an attempt to undermine the scripture so that they can take away that sure foundation that God said that you have, as we just read, that those who are called, right, 
may receive the promise of an eternal inheritance that you know that you know where you will be when your eyes close for that last time. That's your guarantee. Don't let anybody try to steal that from you. That, that's what it's all about. I mean, it's all about taking the glory away from God and it's all about undermining your faith. We we're we gotta be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. Amen. We we can't get caught up in false doctrine. We can't get can't be pulled away that way. In the last days, he says there will be those that fall away. They're gonna go because whether they're trying to appease other people, whether they're trying to, you know, they're going to go and they're going to subscribe to a different doctrine. Maybe we'll fit in here. Maybe this is bad. They're going to, whatever it is, I don't know, right? I'm just speaking off the top. I don't know. I don't have any particular thought around it, but it's, it's a watered down doctrine. And we begin to start to hear that. And we think somehow that's going to be the thing. It doesn't change. God's word is eternal. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. This is the only thing that will change and transform the heart. Some of you have prodigals in here. Some of you have those that have walked away from the faith. Don't ever quit praying for your prodigal. God is going to go after the one. He says he'll leave the 99 to go after that one. He loves them. But he never called us to water down the doctrine as a way to entice them to come in. That's the world's theology. That's not what we find in the Bible. We're to stay the course, even if it means we have to go it alone. You with me? We're living in the last days. We might have to go it alone. But you and Jesus Christ, what am I going to say? It's a multitude. You and Jesus Christ is a multitude. You can turn back to Leviticus here. So he tells us that there should be no man in the tabernacle, meaning when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out to make atonement for himself, for his household, and for the assembly of Israel. So now he's going back in, but he's going to be doing this. We saw it for for who? For his household and for all the assembly of Israel. So we're going to see the same, if I can say it this way, ritual, excuse the term. We're going to, we're going to see it, but now it's for all of, of Israel here. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put on the horns of the altar all around, talking about the bra- brazen altar that way. Then he shall sp- sprinkle some of the blood on its finger again seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. I mean, again, how many thousands of animals in a year were they sacrificing? Blood of bulls, you know, and and goats and sheep. And I mean, but once a year, even for all of Israel, it's going to be cleansed and it's going to be sanctified again. God hits the reset button. I'm praying he does that for the United States of America, that he forgives our sin. He redeems this land. He, he already has given us such a great liberty in this land, such a great privilege to practice what we believe. We take it for granted so many countries. There's so many martyrs all around the world right now. 
We've been given so much. Much is given, much is required. He says in verse 20, and when he has made the an end of atoning for the holy place, so when everything is complete, everything is done that way, right? The tabernacle of meeting in the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both of his hands. Why is he doing that? Because this goat, is, this goat here, that's the sacrifice, the sin offering, he's going to identify, this goat is going to identify with the sin of Israel. That's what's happening. He's identifying by placing his hands on that goat. That goat is now taking upon the sin, the blood and the goat. It's going to now identify with the, the, the nation of Israel, the sin of Israel that way, the nation, okay? So Aaron shall both lay his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel. Just think about that for a minute. You have about 2 million people alive at this point. That's a big church. He's going to then begin to go through the sins of the nation. I do not know how many hours this took. But this wasn't something that was just insignificant. This was very significant. Confess over it the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away <clears throat> into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. And we see that in Isaiah 53, 6. That was Jesus. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to an uninhabited land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. Again, never to be seen again, right? Never to be found again. The sin never comes back. Can you say hallelujah? The, soon, the sin never comes back. Verse 23, then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting, shall take off the linen. So now everything's complete, right? He's, he's finished. He's now going to take off his linen garb, the things that was common, the common. And now what is he going to put on? He's going to now put it back on his priestly garb. Isn't that interesting? On this day that he, he put on the common, not the, you know, the uncommon that way. Didn't Jesus come lowly to serve and not to be served? Some said, you know, I think you get where I'm going with that. It's just God's given us a beautiful picture here. So it says that um, he takes the linen garments which he put on, and when he went into the holy place, he shall leave them there, and he shall wash the body with water in a holy place, put on his garments, and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make an atonement for himself and for the people, and then verse 25, we see the fat, right? That was the choicest piece of meat, typically the fat of the sin offering. He shall burn upon the altar. And isn't that what happened to Christ? The choicest, God himself, crucified for you and I. And he who released the goat as the scapegoat he has a zeal. Shall wash his clothes. Why? Because it's, you know, an unclean animal like that. He's taking out, he's washing. He's going to wash accordingly. Come into the body and afterwards he may come into the camp. The bull of the sin offering and the goat for the sin offerings whose blood was brought in to make an atonement and the holy place shall be carried outside the camp. We're talking about the carcass and everything like that. And they shall burn it in the fire, the skins, their flesh, and the awful. 
Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes. Again, because we've already read the ceremonial practices, they would have been unclean for touching a dead carcass, so he's got to bring them in. they got to be clean like that. And bathe the body in water, and afterwards he may come into the camp. This shall be a statute forever for you. Now, I want you to pay attention to this here, please. In verse 29, it says, In the seventh month, in the tenth day. I don't believe this is a coincidence that we just happen to pick this in the seventh month, ten day, the tenth day that God designed us. What does seven typically think when we think of the seventh month, the month of rest, right, and completion, completion from work, but it would also be a time of rest. No work would be done. Okay? So it's this time of rest, and no work would be done. Well, and the tenth day, ten speaking of, typically in the Hebrew this way, speaks of, a completeness in God's will and his way, right? So what he's saying here is no more striving. You rest and you do it God's way. That's what he's communicating to us in that verse. No more striving. You rest and you do it God's will and God's way. And wasn't that the exact sin of Nabab and Abihu in offering the profanity, that, that profane fire? They were trying to worship God their way. You shall afflict your souls. First time we see something like this, God saying, that idea is mourning, mourning. And again, as I mentioned, that later turned in by the, the rabbinical priests, so they, they later began to do fasting and mourning, Okay. And no work at all, whether a native or your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. For on that day, the priest shall make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Shabbat or Sabbath of the solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. Again, mourn. It wasn't happy Kapoor. It wasn't merry Kapoor. Afflictive soul. Understanding the seriousness and the severity of sin and the soberness of sin because sin separates us from God. And God was making a way for right relationship. And he wanted them to know this cost everything. And as it was a foreshadow to his son who it cost everything because a God who is eternal became mortal he who had no sin became sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God. As Corinthians tells us, he was already preparing their hearts to look for a time where it would be sobering, that it wouldn't be just another day. It would be the day when Messiah would come and redeem humanity. And everything was to point to it. And as we've already read in Hebrews 9, it was going to be once and for all. Well, we read that in Hebrews 9, that's looking back. But, but that was what it was pointing to. And the priest who was anointed and consecrated to a minister as priest in his father's place, shall make an atonement and put on the linen clothes and the holy garment. Then he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle meeting and for the altar, and he shall make an atonement for the priests and for the people of the assembly. 
and they shall be an everlasting statute for you to make atonement. Again, we see it 16 different times here used in chapter 16. For the children of Israel, for all their sins once a year, and he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Why? Because God said, be holy, for I am holy. Look in your Bible at Acts chapter 17, verse 30. We just finished the book of Acts about a month ago at least. You see, God wanted us to understand the stakes of sin and the, and, and the seriousness of it. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, he says, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked when they didn't understand everything the Old Covenant and the Old Testament was pointing to. They overlooked it. God says he overlooked it, excuse me. But now he commands all men, not some, not the chosen, all men, everywhere. That's pretty inclusive. That's pretty inclusive, right? To do what? To repent, to change one's mind, to change one's heart, so that they could do what? They could be in right relationship, right? We're, we're without excuse. Look at Romans. We're in the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 3. Next, next book over to your right in your Bible. We know the passage. We, 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 maybe we take people on the Romans road sometime when we're evangelizing to them, right? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation, that's a substitute, right? By his blood, we're going to be spending more time talking about that in a moment because we're going to be going to chapter 17 all about blood. We're going to be going there. That's why I brought us here first. Through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Our God is the just and the justifier. <laughs> Go ahead and turn back to Leviticus. Let's look at chapter 17. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron, to his sons, 13 different times we're going to see this word blood here, so when we get to it, circle it please. And to all the children of Israel, Okay, so we see something different right in the introduction. The first thing we see is that not only is he speaking to Moses and Aaron like he did, but now he says, and his sons. So now, now he's, he's, he's broadening the scope here. And he says, oh, by the way, and not just his sons, but also the entire church, the entire church of Israel, the, all, the, whole, the two million, right? All two million here. He's saying, Say to them, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded you, saying, whatever man of a house of Israel who kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of the bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and the man shall be cut off from among his people. What is God saying to the people of Israel here? 
What he is saying is, now we have to understand context. Where did the people just come out of? Where are they being brought out of? Egypt. God took them out of Egypt, right? But they still had a bit of Egypt in them. Sin. So what was the practice in Egypt? Well, we know this because we've read our New Testament. We know one of the biggest problems that they would do, the heathens or those that were even the Greeks and what have you, they would turn around and take meat because in those days, it's not like the butcher was at the Carnes, right? Or whatever grocery store you go here. No, it was at the temple. Or, you know, in, in the modern times of when Jesus walked the earth, they would have been at the temple or really not so much temple, but the synagogues in those areas also. And that's where the meat market kind of was. Now, the problem with that is it wasn't at the Jewish temple. That's why I said I, didn't, I shouldn't use the word temple or synagogue. What I'm trying to say was at the pagan temples. It was where they would have gone and they would have taken meat that had been what? Sacrificed to false gods. As a matter of fact, one of the, the gods, specifically in Egypt, um, Manash, I believe was his name, if I've got that right. You can go back and read and check it in history. I believe it was Manash, who later became uh, recognized by the Greeks as Pan. And his name is Pan. And what he would do, as a matter of fact, many of us even today recognize the, um, uh, the image, icon, to use the Greek term, of what uh, Pan would look like. How many people have heard the devil himself, and it looks like he's standing there with a pitchfork, he's got a tail, he has a goat face, Right? You, you, you know what I'm talking about? And, and he, he, many of us, you know, it was in Hollywood movies. I, I remember growing up, there was a movie where they had a thing with a thermometer and this girl could make the fire, fire child. Or I don't remember what it was called. And, and you looked over and there was a picture of Pan. And it was on a thermometer. And as it got warmer, it was like this, what people pictured the devil, you know, or Why? Because we just got done talking about goats and sacrifice. And so in Egypt, they would have taken the goat, as I said, the Greek name for it, Pan, and they were sacrificing to false gods. So what is God doing here? God is protecting them by saying, you're not allowed to go anywhere else and sacrifice an animal or meat that way. You're to come directly to the tabernacle and you're to you know, basically, you know, whether you sacrifice the animal there unto God as an offering or you're going to take it back and it's going to go on your table, you hunted the animal and you're going to clean the animal, you know, you're going to blood it and you're going to then bring it home and, and eat it, you know. He says, I want you to bring it here. That way we know or God knows that you're not going to fall into temptation and begin offering to this false God pan. God was protecting them. And in the New Testament, we see the same thing in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15 and really 16. Hold your finger here. We, we covered it, but let, let's, let's go there if you weren't with us that night. Uh, if you look at Acts chapter 15, uh, look at the um, Jerusalem decree specifically. If you remember, Paul at this point had been going back, went to Antioch, rejoiced with everybody, went up to Jerusalem. They met together. He explained that there were Judaizers. Those were those that were coming after Paul was planning these works on his first missionary journey and what have you, even second missionary journey, that what was happening is they were coming in afterwards and saying, no, it's not enough that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You must also be circumcised and you must keep the law, 
right? And he was heaping, that's legalism. He was heaping additional things. It was Jesus plus something else. That's religion. That's not relationship. There's a lot of religion today. We're interested in relationship. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus alone. That's the difference between religion and relationship. Well, so here, what happens, they meet with James. James turns around, and they gather together. They say, what do we do for the Gentiles? Do we actually give them and, and make them adhere to the, you know, the law and the ceremonial practices of the old covenant? In verse 22 of chapter 15, it says, Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul. Because remember, those guys are sitting there going, well, what are they saying? Are we saved or aren't we? Remember, they were waiting to hear back. If, if somebody had come to you the first time and said, hey, you can be saved by receiving Jesus Christ, and then somebody else comes in and says, oh, no, that, that's really not accurate. You need to do Jesus plus something. You, you, you're, un, you're, you're nervous. You're uncertain. Well, am I saved? Am I not saved? What happens if I die? You know? And remember, it's not like he's jumping on a plane. It could take a month or two for him to get back because he had to commute all the way from Antioch to Jerusalem and then all the way back like that on foot or you know, you know, whatever means of transportation. So they write a letter, and it says, The apostles and the elders, in 20, verse 23, and to the brethren who are in the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and uh, Cilicia, greetings. We believe James wrote this letter because that's the typical uh, introductory James uses. James 1.1 uses the same thing. Since we have heard that some who sent out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. Yeah, God didn't command that. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men with, with um, excuse me, chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth, which is awesome. Hey, just don't trust Barnabas and Paul. We'll send our own with them. For it seemed good, here's the answer, to the Holy Spirit and to us. This is why we practice what we practice and we know we're not under the law today. For this is it right here. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And he's going to tell them a couple things they have to do. That we have to do too. That we are under. That you abstain from things offered to idols. That's exactly what God was trying to protect Israel from from the idols that they had already been practicing and worshiping to in Egypt, right? From blood. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about blood in this chapter. From the things strangled, from sexual immorality. That hasn't changed. This is what we're under here. This is the new covenant. If you keep yourself from these things, you do well. Aren't you glad there's not 615 rules that we are to keep? That's the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the grace of God. That's why you and I can celebrate and rejoice here tonight because we are under no such law. Now, let me be clear. Would we not be well to look at the things that, I'll say, washing your hands and hygiene, some of the things we saw in the ceremonial practices? Would, be, would, be, we, would we be well not to, you know, not, is it a good idea to wash your hands? I'd say, yeah, it is. We, we, we talked about it a couple weeks back as we were going through uh, labor fever and how many women and children died 
you know, back in even the 50s and 40s because doctors weren't washing their hands and they were doing the autopsies in the morgues of the hospital and then going and doing examinations on women and they were getting labor fever and dying. I think there's good things that we can learn. I mean, even in the 1300s, as I mentioned, some of the hygiene practices, the difference is we're not under the law. Those are things you and I can take God's word and go, you know, this is a good idea. Is it not a good idea to rest? Has God not said, you know, hey, you're not, you're not, you know, Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is what? Was for man, not for God, right? He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. But is it not a good idea to slow down and have your Sabbath, your Shabbat with God? Because you can get so busy, I can get so busy that we don't take time to relationship with our God. And then the next thing you know, we're, we're further and further away and we don't even realize it. These are all good things. We're just not slave to them. We're just not slave to those practices. But we can certainly glean. That's why we're reading this. That's why this is for us today. Leviticus. Uh, we're learning more, hopefully, as you've been with us in the book of Leviticus, we're learning a lot. I mean, we're learning that we can put our bedspread out for 30 minutes in the sun and it receives, and it's antibacterial. I mean, basically all the bacteria on the bedspreads, not maybe in this weather here, but, but normally weather, all the bacteria's dead. And God tells us that we don't, you know, normally quarantine yourself if you're sick, right? You know, there was a time when people did that. You know, people are sick. They, I'm sick today. It's kind of funny, isn't it? The irony of that, right? What did I do? I said, hey, I'm a little under weather. Did I come up and hug you? Or did I come up and shake your hands? No, maybe a fist bump, maybe. Because why? Because it's good practice. Because I don't want you to get sick. I don't want, you know. I think there's a lot we can learn from this. So if you turn back with, to chapter 17 there, this was the point in verse 3. This is why he was telling us this. He's saying, whenever a man of the house of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in a camp who kills it outside, I know it's on verse 5, but I'm just going back now that you have context, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer as an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of the blood shall be imputed to that man. In other words, what was he doing? Where was he taking it? And what was it being sacrificed to? If you didn't bring it to the temple there, what were you doing? He has shed the blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people to the end that, to the, end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle meeting to the priests and offer them as peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord and at the door of the tabernacle meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma of the Lord. So he's saying, look, whether it's you're going to eat it or whether it's going to be as an offering or a sacrifice, we're to bring it to the door or, you know, the door of the tabernacle before the Lord there. Verse 7. They shall no more offer their sacrifices, and that's the key right there. Scripture interprets Scripture. Do you see what it says? They shall no longer offer their sacrifices to demons. And that's exactly what they had done in Egypt. You have to remember, just because the Jews were in Egypt and they were in bondage, they began to practice the flesh pots. They began to practice some of the idolatry that the Egyptians were practicing while they were there. Sin permeates. Disease spreads. 
Sin spreads like a disease. That's why when people say, oh, I'm going to go into a sinful place and I'm going to bring the light there. You might. But you know what might also happen? You're tempted. It doesn't generally work that way. That's why God tells us to keep ourselves away from sin that way. To keep ourselves away from situations like that. You know, you don't go to watch a rated R movie so that you can tell other people what's bad about the movie. But I'll tell you how many pastors say that today. How many elders? No. We're to keep ourselves far from sin. It's protection. After whom they had played the harlot. We see the idolatry there. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Also you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of their strangers who dwell among them who offer the burnt offerings or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among the people. And whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers who dwell among him who eats any blood. You know, I, I didn't need to be told this by God. Don't eat blood. Like, I, I'm good. You know, I, I have no desire to drink blood. I have no desire to eat blood. I, but somebody here does, maybe. You know, I don't want to ever make an assumption. Jesus said something interesting in the New Testament. He says, you are to eat, we are to eat his body and drink his blood, right? When they first heard that, that was such a stumbling block to many of the Jews and the Jewish Christians. And they went, what are you saying? And, you know, they thought it was a cult or even started what was called the martyr's cult, to be honest with you, if you go back in early church history because they were frightened by that. But what Jesus was trying to communicate is you need to be of me. He didn't literally mean. That's why we don't believe in transubstantiation or consubstantiation. We don't believe as this Sunday we're going to have communion. We don't believe we're eating the actual body or drinking the actual blood of Christ. That's not what's taught in your Bible. And, and I know men like Luther, when he was reading that, you know, he introduced... Uh, consubstantiation. He went further than where the Roman Catholic Church had gone with transubstantiation. But he didn't go far enough to understand that it was a memorial and that Christ said it was to be a memorial memorial that way. Because what it really you know, represented, some of you know, we have Israel Cohen coming in from Chosen People Ministries in April. I think we have like 50 people signed up on the list here. We're going to have a full Passover dinner. It's going to be about three hours. I think it's $15 a person. I encourage you, if you haven't signed up, we only have 24, 25 more slots. There's only 75 that we can fit back here for this whole dinner. And we're, it's going to be in Hebrew. We're gonna, it's going to be beautiful. So there's only 25. If you haven't signed up, please go do that. I, I don't mean to kind of call your attention. I just don't want anybody to not be able to, to you know, enjoy it. But when, when you go through the Passover, one of the things that I love we're going to get is we're going to get to that third drink, that third glass, that third cup. And that was the cup of wrath. And that's what Christ was speaking of at the Passover, at the Last Supper. It was a memorial. He was showing that he was taking on that wrath. And that's why he says, how I desire to drink of the vine with you again when we are in paradise. And we'll do that when we're together at the wedding feast of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19. But if we don't understand that, because many of us didn't grow up Jewish. We didn't grow up Hebrew. We don't understand exactly what he was showing us. But if you're Jewish... And you see that? Do you know how many Jewish Jews have come to Christ by just coming to a Passover done 
and a Christian Seder? Israel Cohen himself did. He saw it. His secretary, she saw it, came to Christ. I'd encourage you, if you're bringing a friend, bring a Jewish friend with you. And as this, they go through this and the gospel's being presented, their eyes, I mean, it's like, oh my, I, I can't believe I never saw this. Well, that's what we're talking about here. You know, that it's not the blood that, that you're to drink or eat that way. It was symbolic. That's what he was saying in the past. But here, God is teaching them, don't have blood that are, you know, don't drink the blood as the pagans did. Don't practice the sexual morality that the pagans did in Egypt. Right? I will set my face against the person who eats blood and I will cut him off from among the people. For the life of the flesh, and here it is, if I had to give you a main verse, one of the main verses in all of the book of Leviticus, not only chapter 17, it's verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. This sets our basis for understanding of what Christ did. This passage right here, it is the key theme. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make a atonement, a covering, which God made a removal for your souls. For it is the blood that makes the atonement for the soul, not the animal. It's the blood of the animal. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel or any of its strangers who dwell among you who hunts and catches any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all the flesh. Its blood sustains the life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of the flesh is its blood. I think God is pretty matter of fact with us here. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beasts, again, you don't need to tell me not to eat that, whether he is a native of your country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening, again, quarantined for disease, that he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his own body, he shall bear his guilt. Now, next week, we're going to go into chapters 18 and 19, and we're going to look at the laws of sexual immorality, and we're going to look at some of the moral ceremonial laws. But the chapters we just went through are so foundational to our understanding of who Christ is and why he was sent to do what he did. I'd encourage you devotionally this week, go back and read over this chapter again. Read it devotionally as you begin to see what Christ has done for us, then look at some of the passages in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 as we cover tonight, and look at that in the context of the new covenant. And then we begin to understand our sure foundation, and we begin to celebrate and rejoice for what Christ has done in us, through us. Amen? Let's stand and pray. We're at our time, so we're not going to close with a song tonight, but... um, Let's just prepare our hearts to go before the Lord as an offering. Lord Jesus, we come before you. God, we are certainly spotted, inadequate, peculiar people, Lord. And Lord, we cried out to you and we 
believed on you, Jesus, believed in you and who you are as the Son of God and through faith believed that you've redeemed us from all our sin. We confess that here together one to another tonight. And for that, we've received the inheritance, Lord, that you promised of eternity. And Lord, we we don't even have the words to thank you for that. We certainly know it's not what we deserve, and we certainly know it's a perfect picture of your grace. Thank you for giving us an action sermon in our hearts here. Lord, I would just ask that, Lord, if there be anything, God, that is creating a wedge in our relationship. Lord, that we would lay it down at your altar. That as we have Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our Master, there to intercede for us, we know that it would be removed. And we know that we can let go of it and receive that sure foundation, that sure assurance, Lord, of who you are and what you've done. So forgive us, Lord, as we repent. And now, Lord, we turn our attention to glorifying you. We thank you, Jesus, for you are holy and righteous. You are true. You are God of the universe. You created all things, and by all things they exist. You hold the very universe in your hand, Lord. You hold our lives in your palm. And by your breath, Lord, we breathe. God, may our lives be dedicated surrendered, given over to you tonight. May we serve you all the day of our lives, and Lord, may you bless us as we step in faith. Lord, for in our inadequacy, you've given us your righteousness. And so for you, Lord Jesus, we just bring you the glory and honor and praise you are due. Hallelujah, Jesus Christ, we thank you, and we pray all this in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people pray. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. So good to see you all tonight. I pray travel mercies for you. Get home safely. Bundle up. And I look forward to seeing you guys on Sunday at either 8.30 or 10.30. And God bless you all.